Well, today is part two of a very special podcast edition called Rescued, and our guest is actually my mother, Shirley Roberts. Uh, Mom has been sharing with us her riveting story of salvation. If you missed Rescued Part 1, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that, perhaps even before you listen to Part 2, because I don't know if it will all make sense without Part 1. Now, in today's edition of our Preaching Christ Church podcast, Mom is going to share a riveting story about being abducted. She was abducted shortly after becoming a Christian. And, um, and you know, growing up, I had heard bits and pieces, but I'd never put all of the timeline together. We're getting ready to do a special sermon on angels at our church, and it's about the intervention of angels and how they'll help deliver God's people. And so I'm talking to mom about the sermon, and she said, well, she said, I I know that very well because an angel rescued me once. And as she's telling me her story, I just know in my heart we need to share it as a podcast. So mom, backing up to part one of Rescued, you're you're 19 turning 20. You've gotten, uh, as, the, as, as old Christianity used to call it, you've gotten soundly converted. It was not an emotional thing. It was a pure life change. And you did a wonderful job sharing how God led you in salvation. So now, where we pick up in your story, you're, you're going to church. You don't even have a ride to church but you're making it every week, and you're growing, you're being discipled, but you still have some major challenges in your life. Pick up with your story uh, on uh, how you were being discipled and the challenges that you were facing before this uh, very scary abduction. Well, you can imagine living in a household where one of you go to church and one doesn't, and the challenges that 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 presents, and I pay, I prayed every day for my husband. I witnessed to him, loved him very much. But there there came a time in our marriage where he decided that enough was enough. That he didn't want to hear it anymore, and that he was he was tired of I guess competing with God. So he gave me the ultimatum one night. He told me that I I had to make a choice. I had to either choose God or choose him. And I begged him not to do that, and um, he wouldn't hear it. So I prayed all night, and I asked him for 24 hours before he came back. He came back, and I told him that if he made me make that choice, that I had to choose God. And so again, you know, we were separated again. But it was on my heart. I had began to teach Sunday school, and I just fell in love with the kids, and I I, more than anything, I wanted a child, someone that I could raise in church, someone that that I could share my faith with, someone, just someone to take to church, to be in church with, because I felt like I did everything by myself. So I began to pray. I began to, to talk to God about having a son. I specifically prayed for a son, and I was very specific in my prayers. I prayed for a son with brown hair and brown eyes, and and I think back why that was so important to me, because my husband had dark brown eyes, and he had black hair, and I had brown hair, so for some, for whatever reason, it was important 
that he had my hair in his dad's eyes. That was very important to me. And I prayed for a preacher if time lasted. And I prayed this day in and day out. And God is so faithful to answer prayers. He's I have seen him answer prayers that I prayed 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I mean, it, it's amazing. Including my dad. I mean, tell, yes. tell, just take a moment and tell yes. our listeners what happened in dad's life. Yeah, 15 years before he passed away, I mean, he started coming to church and um, just his his whole life changed. There was never, it wasn't quite as profound as mine. Mine literally changed overnight. His changed gradually. But he, you know, he came to the point, um, he had a lot, he had a, a couple of back surgeries, had a lot of pain, and God literally laid him, you know, flat of his back for months on end. And when he got able again to come to church, I mean, he was different, and I knew he was different. And he lived 15 years, you know, searching, just seeking God and trying to live to please God. So at this point in your life, Mom, when you were given an ultimatum and you chose, you chose uh, that you're going to live for God no matter what, um, tell our listeners what happened. Uh, I believe you told me that you were two months pregnant with me. Yes. So God had answered your prayer and given you a child. And tell us what happened on uh, the story of how you were abducted. Well, again, I was lived with my parents, so I had my mom's car, and I had gone for a job interview, and I was coming back, and her car had been, it had just been dying, it would just die, and you'd have to let it set for, you know, 15, 20 minutes before it would start again, and we knew there was an issue with it, and I was in very heavy traffic, and my car just died right there in, in the street, and there was a couple of guys sitting in a parking lot and they got out of their car and one of them walked over to the vehicle and asked me if he could help. Well, the cars behind me were very impatient. They were blowing their horns and and I was very nervous, you know. Because for those who don't know our area, for those who live out of state, this won't mean anything to them. But for those who live in our area, you were at the intersection of Gibson Mill and Stone, Stone Drive, Drive. Yes, correct? Correct, okay. correct. And so this guy approached me and asked me if he could help with a car. And his friend that was with him, I, I didn't think it was odd at the time because he kept saying, man, don't do this, man, don't do this. And I thought he didn't want him to help me. But he, he opened the hood and, you know, tinkered with it a little bit. And then he asked me to scoot over. <clears throat> and he got in the car and it started right up. So he started up Stone Drive and he told me, you know, I, I was trying to witness to him. I was trying to think what I could say to him. Nothing would come to, to my mind. And I was, I was just so troubled about that because I always had a word that I could, that I could say to someone. I, I just had that ability to be able to, to say, do you, do you know the Lord? Do you know what he can do for you? And, or to share my story. And I was just drawing a blank. And I thought, what in the world is wrong with me? I was so focused on the fact that that I just didn't have the liberty to say anything about the Lord. I thought, oh, it was just such a confusing moment for me. And he was talking this whole time, 
And he made mention of the fact that he killed his mother. Well, I mean, somebody tells you they killed their mom. You don't think they actually take her life. I, I thought he broke Unless her heart. Unless it's a total stranger who is driving <laughs> your car. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, he he didn't look like a bad person. But, you know, I just, I think I was more troubled by the fact that, that um, I couldn't I couldn't connect enough to to witness to him, and so we're we're going up Stone Drive. So at, at some point, I say to him, "Okay, my car's running fine. Take me back." And that's when he just goes crazy. I mean, he just goes crazy. And before I could blink an eye, he has a switchblade knife out, and he made me scoot over next to him. It was a, a full bench seat, and he reached over and he locked the passenger door. And so here I am, you know, he's got he's got his arm around me with the knife next to my throat. And he told me he was going to kill me. He told me he w- that he was going to take my life. And he went into detail about how he was going to take my life. And he's all of a sudden, he's driving 100 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic. And I am in such deep shock. I mean, just, I don't know. I, I just couldn't believe it was happening. But I was in such deep shock that I had no idea that I was even speaking until he twisted my shoulder and told me to shut up. And then I heard myself saying, God help me, God help me. And I was saying it over and over. And so at some point, he thinks that that the hood has come up on the car. So At this point, you've gotten on John B. Dennis. Right. And you're halfway down John B. Dennis. Yes, yes. And so he goes to a remote area. I don't know the name of the road. But he pulls off from John B. Dennis. And and you never saw the hood come up. No, no, I didn't. So there's there's another car there. There's, there's an elderly man parked there. And he pulls over in front of this elderly man and stops the car. And he tries to get the key out of the ignition. And it won't come out because there's a button underneath the console. And you have to push that button and turn the key back. And he doesn't know to do that. So he's trying to... And he's beating on the steering wheel. And and I remember at one point he he turned my face toward him and he told me that if I tried to get away, that he would find me and kill me. And so he gets out of the car. And I mean, I'm I'm traumatized. I'm scared. I can't I can't even speak. Paralyzed. 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 I can't even move. And as soon as he shuts the door, I can feel just my somebody just taking my arm and I had that door locked. Somebody just slid me across the seat. It was not me moving, not me. I was paralyzed. And, I mean, my car just starts up. And while I'm doing this, he's running up to the car. He had on cowboy boots. He's running. He's backing up, running to the car and trying to kick the side window out, jumping, hitting it with both Mm -hmm. heels, both feet, trying to to bust the window out. Mm. And I just pull away. I pull away and I go home. Wow. So so you think... As you were in the passenger seat on that bench seat, that you were so traumatized, so paralyzed with fear, you were telling me you believe that an angel. Oh, I know. I actually know. grabbed your arm, mm-hmm. slid you across the seat. Yes. Because uh, because you, you didn't have the where, wherewithal to lock the door, right? And I'm not, I was I was too afraid. I was I was too afraid. Mm. But I tell you what, it did. What that whole episode did for me. As a believer in Christ, I could not believe how afraid I was to die. And it, it really, it was, 
I mean, spiritually, it tripped me up. It tripped me up spiritually. I, I left, I drove home that day, and I literally was so frightened and so scared, I wouldn't even turn the light off at night. I mean, I, I slept with the lights on. I wouldn't go, for days I didn't go out of the house. I was just, I was terrified of everything. I was terrified he would find me. I was just, fear shut me down, shut me down. And my best friend and I had, we had planned for probably months on end to go to a prophecy conference, and we had signed up for it. And the date got closer. It was like in a couple of weeks after this this incident had happened to me. And she kept encouraging me to go, and I kept saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to, you know, I was just so afraid. And I worked at the church then as the church secretary, and I wouldn't even go do that. I mean, I just, my life just stopped there. And in the back of my mind, I thought, if I was truly saved, why was I so afraid to die? I wasn't afraid of going to hell. I didn't think about heaven, but I was afraid of death. I was afraid of of what it felt like. I was just afraid. So it really tripped me up. So I finally agree because we had been wanting to hear this guy for a long time, and he was just a special guy. So we go to this to to a church. They had the conference, and it was like an all day conference. I mean, it was it went on for hours. So we get there, and and there's just you know the church is full of people for this conference. And this guy gets up that's that's teaching the conference, and he he start he you know and he's he, talking about end time prophecy. Oh yeah, right? it's a prophecy conference. Okay. So. You know, he's introducing himself, telling us a little bit about his life story and everything. He's a really intelligent man. He used to work for the CIA, super intelligent. And then before he begins, he just stops, and he and he, he says, I need to say this. He said, I don't know who needs this, but I need to say this. He said, the Bible says that every living, breathing thing fears death. And he said, if you have ever been in a life-and-death situation, and you were terrified, it means it wasn't your day to die. Hmm. God doesn't give dying grace unless it's your time to die. And he said, if you if you are in that situation and you're not afraid, he said, you're going to die. And he said, I, I just need to say that. He said, I'll start the conference now. <laughs> and God had that just for me. Isn't that remarkable? Just for me. That's called a word of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, Shirley, I've been here at PCC for a long time. I've known you for years, maybe seven, eight years going on at this point, and I've never heard any of these stories. Well, that's because I feel like people think I'm crazy when I talk about it. And I was telling um, a good friend just a few weeks ago, I was telling her this story, and she said, this is a story you really need to share. And and I'm like, well, if you, you know, if you didn't know me, you would think that I was just you know, crazy. Well, and that's why when you were telling me over the phone, not just bits and pieces, but you were telling me the full details, uh, I felt that people need to hear these stories because where we are in the season uh, in the life of our church right now, we're talking about angels and their role, uh, the role that they had in the Bible and the role that they have today. You know, angels are not only active in the heavenly realm, they're active in our world. They're active right here with us. 
because what the Bible says of angels in, in the book of Hebrews, it says that all angels are ministering spirits sent by God to those who will inherit salvation. Angels come and they, they intervene in our lives. They, they bring protection at times. They bring guidance at times. They bring safety and they bring help. And God uses angels in remarkable ways. I think when Jacob had his dream at Bethel and the angels were ascending and descending, I think the reason why he saw that was because I think that's angels on assignments. They're completing assignments. They're helping with assignments. You know, people will ask a lot of times, uh, does everyone have a guardian angel? A lot, of pe- a lot of people think that each person has their own guardian angel. And you know, that's not biblical. What the Bible says is that he gives his angels charge to encamp around those who fear God and who belong to him. It's God's people who have the help of angels in their life. And when you shared your story of how you could not have had the mental capacity or the physical ability to kick into motion and lock that door, slide across that bench, lock that door, start the ignition, and drive off. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that an angel of the Lord helped you do that. Absolutely. And I forgot to mention that when I got home, that I checked the car, the, the hood was not up. You know, I think uh, going back to what you were saying, Chad, um, that angels are on assignment to protect us and intervene in things. I've, I've experienced um, an angel protecting me from myself. Um, so I have two stories from when I was younger. Um, they happened kind of around the same time, and it was really the time that I was wrestling with the Lord. I knew I had a call in my life to be in ministry, to lead worship, and, and to... Uh, serve in the church and I went about a year and a half where I sprint I didn't just run like I sprinted away from that because that the pressure of that calling just it was not something I wanted when I was 18 19 years old so when I was 18 I just turned 18 I was a senior in high school and I worked at Food City as a cashier and we um, were getting ready to go on this trip to New York with the choir at school the high school I went to, and um, we had to raise all this money to go, and I was like $200 short from having what I needed to go, right? And I worked the same exact schedule at Food City every single week, and I had been doing that same exact schedule for, I think, 18 months at that point. It never changed. It was always set. I was the only one that closed that night, the only one that was willing to do it. Never, ever changed. Well, one night I went into work and I was $200 short from being able to go. And I worked in the computer room at Food City and I knew it was really easy to know where the cameras were and how to avoid them. And the drawers always ended up short. So nobody really thought anything about it. So I was going to steal $200 because I really wanted to go on that trip. And it was like a status thing. Like I was, I would have been so embarrassed that I'd not been able to go. And, and it was just a lot of just, it was just but a weird. You weren't embarrassed about being a choir kid. <laughs> it worked out pretty well, I would say. I'm just kidding. But it, I'm so I was scheduled. My apologies to all the choir people. <laughs> so I knew I was scheduled to work that night. And so my plan was, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take $200. It's going to be fine. I'll make it work and whatever. 
So I show up, and my my schedule was six to midnight, four days a week. That's just what I did. And I showed up, and another person was there working in my spot. And I'm like, "What are you doing? You know, you know, I'm supposed to be here. Whatever." Like, no, you're not on the schedule today. And the way they had the schedules posted is you you saw the entire month, what your entire month looked like. And it was like the end of a month, and so they had two months of schedules. And there I am every single week, all four days, on all of the schedules except that one night. Wow. That one night I was off. And I knew for sure that I was on that night. That's why I got dressed and, you know, mm. got got out of football practice, went home, dressed, showered, ate, and went to work because I knew that I was scheduled. And that one night when I was going to do that, that one night, I was off. So you can see how God prevented that big mistake from happening. I would have gone to jail. I mean, that's mm. that's a big thing. They don't take mm. that stuff lightly. Yeah. And had I been caught, which I would have been caught, um, I would have gone to jail. Wow. And around that same time... Um, this I don't know exactly how many months or whatever, but I mean it's basically in the same season of my life. I'm kind of doing the same kind of things. Um, the road that I lived on, I had to like you had to stop on this really steep hill to pull out onto the highway, and it's really hard to see because it's like a curve coming around, so you don't really know if traffic's coming. So you're kind of just guessing, right? Well, <clears throat> it was really late at night. Um, I was I don't remember what I was going out to do, but I was going out to do something. And I pull out onto this road, and this truck is just barreling down. I don't see it, and it's probably it's probably going seventy five, eighty, and a fifty. I mean, it's it's booking it. And this truck was going to hit me. There's nothing that was going to stop this truck from hitting me. I mean, it was it was going to t-bone me, and I, it, it killed me because um, I'm in this tiny little Miata. And I closed my eyes because I knew it was coming, and nothing happened. And I opened my eyes, and that truck is nowhere. Mm. It's just gone. And that is the day, or that is the week, rather, that I went back to church and surrendered my life finally, fully to God. It was like, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm done sprinting. Had your full attention. And from then, from that moment on, I've been in in ministry serving the Lord. Praise God. So I began to pray about having a child with brown hair and brown eyes and and a preacher if time lasted. And I made a promise to God. I promised Him that if he would give me a son, that I, that we would be in church every time the doors were open. And we were. I remember that, I, kicking and screaming. <laughs> I never promised the pastor, never promised the congregation, never promised a family member, but I made that promise to God, and we kept it. And I never told you, I never, you know, there, there's sometimes that, I think some of the the best secrets you could ever have is when you have a secret with God mm. and you reveal it to no one. No one knew. There were, there were a lot of people that knew that I prayed for a son. Most everybody knew that I never even picked out a girl's name. But most everybody knew I prayed for a son with brown hair and brown eyes. But there was no one but God knew that I prayed for a preacher. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I didn't even know until Absolutely I had not. announced my call to preach. So you never put that expectation on me exactly, or made me feel like, you know, this is what you're destined to to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were a child, um, just, you know, maybe two, two years old, they would call you little preacher at church. And I remember just going to, to a different, you know, the women of the church basically. And just one by one, I'd say, don't call him that. 
I don't want him to grow up with that, you know, with, with a name attached to him. If if he's called, I want God to call him, and I want it, you know, I want it to be done right. So, Eric, I can relate to what you said. Um, Chad was a, a toddler, and uh, we lived on a very busy street, and I would put him in his high chair every day and let him watch cartoons and give him a snack. And our front door, the the uh, screen door did not latch. And if I took him out of his high chair, he would run toward it. He could always outrun me. He was so quick as a kid. And he would hit that door and go outside. And we had a teenager that drove very fast on our street. And you could always hear him coming. His car was very loud. And that day, I just forgot to shut the wooden door. I forgot to, to close it. And I still had the tray, in his high chair tray in my hand when I heard him hit the front door. And I could hear the car coming. And he ran toward the road. And he just stopped and looked back at me. And the car just whizzed by him. And I ran out there and got him. And I brought him in. And I shut the door. And I, I fell in, in the floor. And I was crying. I was just thanking God that he had watched over him. And he, of course, was laughing hysterically and giggling at me because he always got excited when I got upset. <laughs> well, to close out today's episode, uh, I'll just share for just a moment two very quick stories of the two times that I know an angel of the Lord rescued me. Um, one of the times I really caused my parents grief, other than what you just shared, uh, I had began driving and I purchased a Jeep uh, Wrangler. Um, you know, I'd love to take the top off of it and drive, and I just loved that Jeep. It was my baby. I loved it. And my parents didn't want me to get it, and uh, and sure enough, I had two uh, very uh, scary incidences with it. As a matter of fact, uh, I just have this picture in my head because me and my kids play this game that when we don't want to do something, if mom tells us to do something and Sadie goes, hey, who's going to do this? We'll touch our nose and say, not it, right? <laughs> and whoever hadn't done that the last, they have to do it. I picture God choosing my guardian angel, and I just picture tons of them going, not it, right? Because that's... So I have this Jeep Cherokee, and I'm very young. I'm a teenager, and I have this Jeep Cherokee, and... Um, and, uh, well, no, no, I, I had already finished high school because it was my first job and it was my first vacation. I had never had, you know, an actual vacation. And I decided I'm going to go to Pensacola, Florida. There was the great Brownsville outpouring happening in Pensacola. And I decided I'm going to drive down there by myself and come back. Well, my parents are all upset. They, they don't want me to go and they don't want me exactly. to go by myself. Well, um, everything went really well and had a great time. But on the way back, I thought, well, why spend the last day of my first vacation driving all day? Why not drive it all night? And that way, I'll have one last day left. And many of you know, God protects us from stupid things we do, right? This is exactly why my parents didn't want me to do it. And I remember I drove, I left Pensacola late that night after the service was over. And, uh, you know, just thinking, you know, sure, no problem. I can make that drive. And I started getting really sleepy, very, very sleepy coming into Knoxville. I was on Interstate 75. And I remember coming into Knoxville. I was coming out of the Oak Ridge area coming into Knoxville. And I remember I was beginning to fall asleep. As a matter of fact, a couple of cars had honked at me because I was veering off and I was falling asleep. 
you know, in my youth, I, I didn't realize I should have pulled over, took a nap. I should have got a hotel. I should have done anything except been driving. I was probably 18 or 19 at the time. And I remember I just kept, I was so sleepy, but I just kept thinking, you know, Knoxville's an hour and a half away from home. I can make it. I can make it. I can make it. And uh, so I'm coming into Knoxville, and the next thing that I remember, I'll never forget this as long as I live, I'm sitting in a gas station parking lot. I have no idea where I am. The sun is beginning to come up, and I have to get out of my car and go into the gas station and ask where I am. And the, the person, the cashier, says, you're in Asheville, North Carolina. Wow. Now, how that happened, I'll never be able to explain it. I have no idea. I know I was alone. There was no one with me. And there's no way that I could have got from Knoxville to Nashville without a recollection of it. And, uh, of course, um, you asked the question, what did you drive home? Yeah, I was pretty wide awake at that point. (laughs) I didn't need any coffee or anything. Well, it was in that same Jeep that, again, uh, you know, I have a lot of apologizing to do to my guardian angel when I get to heaven. It was in that same Jeep, and I had a very bad accident. Uh, just, you know, for those of you that wonder, Jeep Wranglers really do roll, and they roll really good. At least mine did. And I had a car accident on a, on a road um, that had probably a 20, 25-foot embankment. And what my insurance says is that they think something like my tie rod end broke or something. Something threw me out of the road. And when I heard something snap real loud on the Jeep, and when it did, it threw me to the right side. Well, I overcorrected to the left side, and I spun backward, skidding through the road, and I broke through like five or six trees and rolled down a large embankment and landed on my top. I get out of the car, I crawl out of the Jeep, And I crawl up to the top of the embankment and I look down and my wheels are just still spinning. It was just such a scary moment. And um, so, you know, the police come and, uh, you know, they bring, what's that thing called where they, where they, tow it out you know they a wrecker uh, wrecker I don't know they had to they had to go (laughs) it didn't look like a wrecker I don't know what it was and um, and the cop comes to me and he says come here look at this he said look where your skid marks are and I could see those skid marks and where those skid marks were those trees were so large and so thick I would have never broke through them And he said, now come down here and look where you broke through. There were small trees, very small, that, you know, the car easily broke through them. He said, it looks to me like something picked your car up and took it 15, 20 feet down the road and then let it go from there. And that's something else. And I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew that the angels of God had protected me that day. Well, I'm sure that many of you have similar stories of God's divine protection. I'm sure there have been times that you're confident that an angel of the Lord or the hand of God uh, came in and rescued and protected you. You know, I would love to hear your story. You can email me directly at pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. It's very simple, pastorchadroberts 
at gmail.com. I would love to hear what the Lord has done in your life and to know what God is doing in your life currently. You know, you can connect with us further by downloading our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. And when you download Awakened to Grace, well, you're going to have all kinds of life-changing content right at your fingertips. I hope that you'll visit our website. You can visit our church website at preachingchristchurch.com or visit our resource website at awakenedtograce.com. Well, I'm glad that you've listened. I hope you'll consider sharing this with a friend. We would love to hear from you. We would love to connect with you. We are always praying for you.